You're listening to the Therapy for Women podcast with licensed therapists Amanda White, Fern Formel, and Gabby Salomone. Whether you're contemplating therapy for the first time, already in therapy, or reconsidering it, this podcast will empower you with tips, advice, and plenty of real talk so you can get the most out of your sessions. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Hi, everybody. Oh, Fern, we were so in sync there. (laughs) We're really excited today because we have Simone here. Yes. Everyone, Simone is a licensed therapist who works for us. She is licensed in California and New Jersey. So it is very early in the morning, Simone, where where you are. Yes. It is. Yes. It is. I'm still waking up. I have my coffee. Never fear. I'll be all right. <laughs> it's the elixir of life is what that is. <laughs> Feels like hopes and dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Simone, we're excited to have you on today. And usually, you know, when we have someone on the podcast, the first thing that we usually ask is just to tell us a little bit about yourself and your scope within therapy and and what you do. Sure. So um, as Amanda said, I am a licensed professional clinical counselor in the state of California, and I am also a licensed professional counselor in New Jersey, and I am currently working on my licensure in Washington State. So fingers crossed for that. Amazing. Thank you. I am trained in cognitive behavioral therapy, which is just a fancy way of saying, you know, we look at your thoughts, we look at your behaviors, and those are the things we target for intervention. I work a lot with anxiety, depression, trauma, and I specialize in working with the LGBTQ plus community. Um, I should also say uh, I have a little bit of a unique perspective on that because I am also the mom to my daughter, who is transgender, and my son, who is gay. And I do have their permission to speak about that. So I just want to put that out. That definitely gives a unique perspective. For sure. Yeah, I was just going to say that definitely gives you a unique perspective and insight and additional like scope of practice to yes kind of connect with those people that feel very alone in this the pandemic has definitely amplified that mm. absolutely absolutely well i think it's so cool like simone went like i just love that perspective too because parents right and, and you're involved in an organization that i know you can talk about more but i think you know parents of kids sometimes don't understand and you do such great work what you tell us about i forget the name of the what is it ma it's free free mom hugs free mom hugs yeah yeah that is so cute i love yeah. that so much <laughs> honestly uh, i remember Simone when you told me you were involved with that and i was like i have seen these moms at events and this just makes me so happy yeah, it's, it's really cool. So this was created by a mom that, you know, kind of struggled with her kid's identity. And she was a Christian woman, very involved in her church. And she, when her son came out, she really had a hard time accepting his identity. And uh, so what she did was she kind of, you know, went to her faith and talked to her pastors and, you know, she had to kind of make a choice for herself. And 
she decided to uh, to love and embrace her son. And through this journey, you know, she realized that there were a lot of parents who didn't do that. And she wanted to make sure that people that were disenfranchised by their parents uh, had support. And so she started with the hugs at the, you know, uh, pride parades and other events. And it's sort of branched out from there. And she does a lot of work with, you know, um, awareness, legislation, going to schools. That's awesome. That's really, really lovely. I think I've seen also free dad hugs at events before, but I don't know if that's an organization or like within the same organization. No, that's actually a separate organization. But, you know, free dad hugs is welcome, you know, to join free mom hugs at any events. Matter of fact, when I did uh, Philly Pride, my husband came with me. He was hugging people alongside me, which was really cool to see. I love that so much. So beautiful. I guess, you know, Simone, is that what drew you to working with the LGBT community was your own lived experience or was that already an interest of yours and it kind of just morphed? Yeah. So that's really interesting. It actually started before either of my kids were out. My daughter, you know, pre-transition had a friend at the house who she knew prior to her transition and you know this person's dad was not accepting and you know the counselor in me was kind of like oof you know you have to support your kiddo but the mom in me was like wow i don't know how i would feel if that was my kid and i kind of knew some background on them so i had a lot of empathy for the dad and so what happened was i ended up attending the uh, International Trans Convention in Philadelphia, which is one of the largest in the world. I think it might be the largest. And it really was eye-opening. I mean, I went to a lot of seminars. I went to a gender-neutral bathroom, which blew my mind because I had never had that experience before. And I got to kind of just learn all about the trans community. And it just really sparked something in me. So when I came back to the place that I was working in, which was a uh, PHP IOP program, I said, hey, you know, they were already starting to look at uh, creating a group for LGBTQ folk, a safe space. And I, you know, became a part of that. um, And I ended up kind of running that group. And then later on, my kiddos came out. So it was just kind of a happy coincidence, I guess, that I was well prepared for that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So Simone, the work that you do, right? And the advocacy work that you do, tell us more about that. Like, tell us more about the advocacy part of this that you Mm -hmm. are really passionate about. Yeah. So Free Mom Hugs, they do stuff all year round. And I kind of When I stepped into it, I I didn't have a lot of time. I didn't have a lot of finances that I could kind of devote to it. So really, I started out with cards. They would post people's information that needed support. And, you know, you would send a a card like congratulations on your wedding or uh, happy birthday or, you know, Christmas cards or graduation cards or whatever, right? Because folks are so disenfranchised that even a a little card can really mean a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's how I started. And that's a really easy way for anybody that's interested in getting involved. I mean, you know, it's it's pretty uh, inexpensive to send a card. It's a stamp and, you know, and a few happy words of encouragement. 
And then I started, you know, going to events and doing hugs. And then it just kind of, you know, snowballed from there. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that, Simone. I think I, I think it's so interesting what you were saying about the perspective of having both, because I'll speak for myself, right? Like when as we're recording this, I'm pregnant. but I'm not right a parent yet, or I don't consider myself to be a parent yet, but obviously I've been thinking about it a lot more (laughs) than I used to. And it's, it is, I think a really interesting point to be able to, to have to hold both because right. Like up until this point in my life, I am so fiercely when I have an LGBTQ client or know anyone who's LGBTQ so fiercely on their side And not that I'm not now, but I think it is an interesting dynamic when you are a parent that you can understand the grief or the other emotions that, that come up. And I think that it's, it's a really good point of balancing both of that and, and having the space to support a parent, but also right advocating for, you know, the person who's coming out. So interestingly enough, and I'm so glad you brought this up, when my daughter came out, even though I had attended this conference and I was running the LGBTQ group, I struggled. Yeah, I struggled. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that I didn't love and support my daughter. It was just this sort of grief that I didn't expect and I didn't really understand. And I was so fortunate enough to be able to connect with my local PFLAG group. So shout out to the PFLAG group in Collingswood. Can you tell us what PFLAG group is for those that don't know? Yeah. So PFLAG is a group for anybody, including LGBTQ folk who love and support people under the LGBTQ umbrella. And it is essentially a support group for allies and those people and members of the community when I came to them, I came to them to try to understand my grief and what I was experiencing because I really didn't get it. And essentially what I learned was that it's very normal to go through that, even if you love and support the people in your life. And it really was about kind of grieving that idea Hmm. of who they were before they came out. Right. And letting go of that and making space for the person that they authentically are. Mm -hmm. Right. Which kind of seems weird if you think about it, because we don't know who our children are. We don't know who they're going to become. We don't know what they're going to do with their life. But we still create this narrative in our brains for them. Right. And oftentimes that doesn't match what really happens in reality, right? Mm -hmm. But we still do this. And so, you know, when your kiddo comes out, you know, you may have had ideas about them marrying somebody, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. of a specific gender and having children and, you know, and all of that. And that doesn't mean none of that will happen. It just means it might happen in a different way. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think this is this is not I'm not trying to make this example be parallel, but it's interesting as you're talking about this because I right, I specialize in addiction. I worked with a lot of families who almost went through this grief of when they recognized that their child had an addiction, what their life would look like now that 
they had to become sober, right? And this life of, even when I told my parents I wasn't gonna drink anymore, there was almost a grief that like my parents went through of, and again, like everything <laughs> was fine. Alcohol, right, has really changed also amazingly in the past five years, especially too. But I think my parents had this idea of who I would be, who I would marry, what my life would look like. And I think there's fear sometimes, right? If your child isn't following the path that you know or expected or feel prepared to navigate with them. Yeah, I was going to say, like, when I, you bring up, you know, the fears or stuff like your parents had about your sobriety, right? And the, even the, like the thoughts around like, oh, like, so we can't have a drink together anymore or we exactly. can't. How are we going to toast at your wedding, right? Yes, like, exactly. What's that going to look like? Which is so small, right, compared to what will my child's wedding look like? Will they have a wedding? But there was still a grief they went through with that. And I think, Gabby, like you bring up a good point with fear, right? Because as a parent of LGBTQ kids, especially in the political climate that we're experiencing now, that's a big concern for yeah. a lot of LGBTQ parents. I mean, we're looking at, you know, don't say gay in Florida and don't use people's authentic pronouns. And we're looking at this, uh, the governor in Utah just passed anti trans affirming yeah. legislation for medication and surgery. Yeah. What is that like for you, Simone? Or what is your advice for other parents going through it or other people who are scared? I think, you know, people in the LGBT community are terrified with this stuff. Yeah. It's tough. It's really tough. My son is very openly gay. He wears a rainbow mask to school every day by choice. You know, I'm like, I can get you some other masks. And he's like, no, absolutely not. I want this one. So he gets targeted. He gets called all kinds of nasty slurs. And, you know, there was an incident earlier in the school year where a kid actually grabbed him. And we had to go up to the school and deal with that and sort that out. So it's, it's tough, right? Because these are very real things that happen. And, you know, I, I treat members of the trans community and it's particularly dangerous for trans women. Yeah. Um, they are really um, targeted and even more so for trans women who identify as BIPOC. So it's tough. It's tough because you have to be realistic about what's going on in the culture, but you don't want people to be so afraid that it interferes with their life, right? So what I really kind of advocate for is connection to community. So find the people in your community that you feel safe with. And that really helps with so many things, as you know, like anxiety, depression, and also these fears about safety. So, and there's so many resources, even if you're kind of isolated, there are online communities that you can connect with. So just, just you know, high schools have gay straight alliances, colleges often have various kind of support groups. PFLAG is a great place to connect with people. So just finding that community is really, really important. I was going to say, like, Simone, so the work you do, is it around, like, kind of talk to us a little bit about the work that you do with clients and how you guys 
kind of work through the different areas of therapy and what kind of clients, you know, kind of show up in your therapy sessions. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, just because somebody identifies under the LGBTQ rainbow doesn't mean that they're necessarily coming to me for issues around identity, right? So um, a lot of my LGBTQ folks have, you know, anxiety, depression, trauma, yeah, uh, the stuff that anybody else has, right? Because it's not always about their identity. But oftentimes they, they just want to feel comfortable with somebody who gets mm-hmm. it, you know, who understands. Sometimes it does specifically relate. I have some transgender clients who struggle with uh, gender dysphoria, which is, you know, challenging. And sometimes we'll talk through strategies to kind of manage that. Can you tell us a little bit like... Yeah, for people who don't know what that is. Yes, thank you. Yeah, so gender dysphoria is when your brain says that you are one gender or maybe no gender or maybe your genders can change throughout the day or a certain time period and that doesn't match what you're seeing in the mirror right and so there's this this dissonance there's this this uncomfortable feeling right and so sometimes we have to find ways to kind of manage that feeling right and that's Oftentimes why people that are transgender will seek out gender affirming hormones and surgeries and things of that nature to help them realize that authentic identity that their brain Mm -hmm. tells Mm -hmm. them that they are. Absolutely. And I think that's why, to your point, right, like that's why gender affirming care is so important and life-saving. Yes. Because people struggling, you know, need need this support and they need this care. And I think you were touching on this before, Simone, of just like, you know, I think it's easy for people who don't understand to just say, well, who cares about the rhetoric, right, in politics about this? It's it's not dangerous, but it creeps down and then it impacts how your daughter or son is treated in school. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, here's the thing for parents who find themselves in this situation. You don't have to understand what it's like to be gay. You don't have to understand what it's like to be trans. But I think that most parents, not all, but most, love their children. And by not supporting your child, you are putting them in danger, Mm -hmm. right? The LGBTQ community has an extremely high risk for suicide. And it's it's about half of the community that considers suicide at some point. And for transgender individuals, it's closer to 60%. So it's it's a really high percentage. And with that love and support, that percentage goes down dramatically dramatically. And even if we're not talking about suicide, right, there are increased risks for homelessness, there are increased risks for drug and alcohol abuse. So, you know, situations that put their lives in peril, um, if they're not supported, 
So you don't have to get it. You don't have to understand it. You can even say, listen, this is not something. I mean, even the Pope, right, has come out and said, you know, even though the Catholic Church still believes that it's a sin, which I don't agree with, but even the Pope has said we still have to love our LGBTQ people. So, you know, it's it's very important to just just so support. Simone, I'm, I'm curious, like thinking about parents and, and all of that, one thought that I hear parents say a lot is like, I just don't want my kid's life to be harder than it has to be, like when they when they come out. And I'm just curious, like what you think about that. And if you've worked with any parents who have said that and how you've kind of helped them through that, because I have my thoughts and feelings about it, but I'm curious what yours are. <laughs> Life is hard. Life is hard for all of us. And, you know, we can't protect our children. And and it doesn't matter if they're LGBTQ or not, right? And <laughs> how much how much more damage would you be doing by saying, stay closeted? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that this kind of opens up a whole other can of worms that I'll kind of touch on in a second. But like, you know, you The best thing that you can do for your children is not to isolate them, but to love them and to support them when they experience adversity. Because no matter who your child is, they're going to experience adversity. And by loving them and supporting them through that, that is how you build resilience. And that's what we need. You need resilience. You need, I mean, you know, Fern, I don't know about you, but I know Amanda and Gabby, we're Philly girls. We know what grit is. We know what, you know, it means to kind of have that like tenacity, right? And that's really what you have to foster in your kiddos, no matter what they experience. And to that point, like, you know, we really hurt our kids when we say things like, you know, you can be gay, but don't be out, right? Or I accept you and I love you, but I don't want you to bring your partner around or you can bring your partner around, but don't hold their hand or don't show expressions of love. Those little slights that the community experiences every day. And it's like death by a thousand cuts, right? So these little things um, that we do and oftentimes, right, we will say, oh, I love and support my LGBTQ kids or I love and support my LGBTQ friends or family. But then we 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 do these little things unknowingly. We don't mean to. Right. But these are the things that hurt our communities the most. Well, I was thinking to Simone about, you know, what what Fern was saying and everything like that. And I think that. It is that it's like the death by it's like those microaggressions constantly, right? And I, I love and what you said about, you know, as a parent, you can't protect your kid from adversity, and that might be where their parent is coming from, right? Of like, oh, I just like Fern was saying, I don't want your life to be harder, or maybe it'll be easier if you stay closeted, or whatever. But it's like life like i think there is a shift hopefully starting to happen in parenting or at least i'm really like passionate about it as someone who's going to become a parent of like you know it's not your job as a parent to protect your kids from experiencing life it's your job to support your kids when life will be hard right exactly 
Exactly. And I think a lot of parents don't get that. I had a client that um, I was working with recently. And, you know, it's funny because children are born with temperaments and we don't always recognize that. And, you know, sometimes our kiddos don't, I know, (laughs) my daughter was the toughest one and still is to this day, you know, and it's not our jobs to make our kids happy. And I think a lot of parents don't understand that. It is not our job to make them happy. It is our job to love them and to support them and to help them figure out what makes them happy. In the same breath, it's not the child's job to make their parent happy. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yes. No one's job to make anyone happy. <laughs> and, and guess what? The kids get that. They yeah. know that. Yeah. <laughs> they know that. <laughs> yeah. I guess what's coming up for me is like, I'm thinking of, you know, I have a client and something that we've talked about and worked about around or like on is the fact that her parents support her. Her older sister does not. Mm. Yeah. Other members of the family. Other members of the family. And, you know, there's this like grief around like we were so close. Mm -hmm. Like we were sisters. Yeah. Well, we are sisters. We are sisters. (laughs) We are sisters. We were so close. We, you know – we did all these things together growing up and whatnot. And then they started going to a different church or they started listening to certain political news stations or things or got like deep diving into, you know, some weird political forums. And now they're anti, anti-gay, anti-trans. And, you know, how can I feel comfortable going there? Mm. How can I feel comfortable being at dinner with them knowing that they don't support me? Yeah. Right? And I think that's like a really interesting dynamic that's going on because then also the parents are like, don't talk to your sister that way. No wonder she doesn't want to come here. (laughs) Well, good on her parents for sticking up for her, right? Good on them. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's difficult, right? And here's the thing about coming out. You don't just come out once. Mm-hmm. You come out your entire life, right? Yeah. You come out to new people you meet. You might come out to your employer, yeah. you know, people you date. Like, you're, you're coming out constantly. It's a process. And in that process, you might lose people. You might lose people and you might have to grieve that. And that's that's difficult. You know, some people are going to be really accepting and some people aren't. And you know, that's tough. It's tough. Are you looking for some skills on how to improve your mental health? Therapy for Women has some great workshops and groups coming up this spring that I'd love to tell you about. First up, starting April 5th, we have a four-week DBT skills group led by Kat Hilton. DBT is a phenomenal resource to help you learn how to regulate your emotions, improve your relationships, and also develop healthy ways of coping. So it's going to be four sessions, totally virtual. You can take this workshop no matter where you live in the country, and it'll be 175 for the set of four classes. We're keeping this small, so you'll have a lot of individual attention. So be sure to sign up if you're interested in it. The other one coming up on Thursday, April 13th is going to be an anxiety and insomnia workshop. So if you are someone who struggles with insomnia or anxiety, your sleep hygiene, you're not going to want to miss this workshop. It's only $20. Again, it's totally virtual, so you can participate from anywhere in the world. And finally, Melanie is going to be doing the Patriarchy's Impact on Pleasure 
Also going to be a $20 virtual workshop coming up on Thursday, May 25th. She's going to be talking about how the patriarchy targets women and how it impacts our ability to feel pleasure and joy in sex. So if you're interested in any of these workshops, visit therapyforwomencenter.com slash events. Now back to the show. I guess like, do you have like tips for clients that are going through that grief process whether it's a parent or for, you know, for their child or somebody that identifies as LGBTQ and they're grieving the loss of relationships because of their choices that they're making for their life and somebody not supporting them. Really, we would treat it like any other grieving process. I like Warden's uh, tasks of grief. So accepting what's happening and looking at your life without that person and sort of figuring out what your new role is, you know, without that person in your life, which is hard, right? But it's, it's tough, you know, and then it's really about holding space. But I think support is just so paramount to this community. You know, I think that's really the biggest thing. And so many LGBTQ folk feel isolated in their journey. And that's another reason why that support is so necessary. Yeah. Fern, as a couples therapist or family therapist too, how how do you work with families, like Gabby was saying, where there's different components of different people who hmm. disagree or there's differing views? I say within the context of LGBTQ plus or just in general disagreeing <laughs> viewpoints because um, do both. <laughs> You know, it's it's really tricky, right? Because I think if we're being completely honest, all therapists have their own beliefs and opinions and right, and we are as unbiased, I think, as you possibly can be in these kind of environments. And I'm going to go on a tangent here for a second, but <laughs> there is the more of this movement in therapeutic spaces where, yes, therapists are unbiased and also there is a time and a place for you to stick up for certain things mm -hmm. and for you to uh, provide education and for you to share what your beliefs are to some degree. Now, I'm not saying like if you're in a family session – <laughs> that you should be like, you're wrong, <laughs> right? I'm not saying that, but I'm saying more so like if I'm working with anyone who's in the LGBTQ community, right, depending on what's going on, I might explicitly share that like I am supportive of that community. I am in that community. Like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So there are certain times and places. So that's one tangent that I yeah. think – you know, I think that's a really important thing. And that's very different from how therapy used to be, right? Therapy very much used to be a therapist barely says anything. They have no personality. Therapists were even told to wear like neutral clothing colors, yeah. right? Like, so the therapists you get usually these days, at least like younger generations, have a lot more personality. Fern, you mean our therapists? <laughs> our therapists. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So all that being said, right, so that's one, I think, important piece of this. But if I'm working with like a couple that has really differing views or a family that has differing views, it, it is a really difficult space to operate in because like it's not my job to change anyone's viewpoint. 
Right. Right. I can do exactly what Simone actually said earlier, right? Like kind of give them the psychoeducation, give them the facts, give them the statistics, like Mm -hmm. show them the data that like if you are not supportive of your child and their identity, these are the possibilities of the things that could happen. Right. You could say the same thing for a sibling. You could say the same thing for a friend or something like that. You know what I mean? Like you could mm-hmm. you could say the same thing. I've definitely had um, cases before where one parent is really supportive and the other parent is not. Mm-hmm. And I find that the most helpful thing is just providing as much education as possible. Like, mm-hmm. and while that one parent is maybe trying to figure out where they or they land, right, Where what they believe in or, or their beliefs that are changing. Very Again, very much what Simone said, right, like the parent who is supportive, also getting them their own support because the partner who disagrees with them is probably not going to be their support person right now. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So it's okay to try to find even your own community outside of someone who's in your current community, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think it would probably benefit, right? Like it's not appropriate, right? If you're processing the grief, right, of your child coming out, it is not appropriate to be processing that grief or looking for support from that child or from that Absolutely. person. Yes, Absolutely. exactly. Right. It's not, just like just like Simone said, just like Gabby said, right? Like it's not our job to make our kids happy, and it's also not our job to make our parents happy. We cannot be someone's support for everything all the time, right? Other people can fill those roles. But it is really difficult. So any any therapists that are out there that are doing couples work or family work, and you've got a lot of differing opinions about some really, I'm going to say hot topics. And what I mean is that they can just be very divisive. It is exhausting. Education is a big part of it. And you are also not required to hide certain parts of yourself. Just don't take up all the space in the room. And just to add to what Fern was saying, you know, as much as you can, right? So this is going to depend on your age, your circumstances, what's going on in your life. Boundaries are really Mm. important, right? Say it again, Simone. Boundaries. (laughs) (laughs) And to steal a quote from Amanda, which I say all the time, boundaries are meant to preserve relationships, Right. I think Mm -hmm. people feel guilty Mm -hmm. when they put up boundaries because they feel like they're going to push the other person away. And I'm like, yeah, but if you don't take care of yourself, then you're not going to want to be around them anyway. I mean, and this can be tricky if you are a child who has Mm. to be in the company of your parents and your parents do not accept you. But finding ways to keep yourself safe in relationships, if you want to keep them, is really huge is really huge. And that's going to look different for everyone. And it's also going to change with time. Right. I think you said a really good point, Simone, that like your age is super dependent on how coming out can go, right? Boundaries can go, right? It's a big, there's a big difference between coming out when you're like 13 and when you're like 33, right? Yes. There's a big difference if you live with your parents or if you don't live with your parents. Like, right. So for for you, with any but you know being someone's therapist, how I don't actually Simone, I don't know this about you. Do you work with uh, like minors at all? <laughs> 
That's a loaded question, right? Okay. <laughs> I, they're not my favorite. Sorry. Um, they're not my favorite group to work with because you know, that's fair. They're not, not yeah, myelinated yet. They're not fully cooked. Um, they do impulsive things because that's <laughs> what their brain does, right? Because they're not fully developed. But yes, I, I do work with LGBTQ adolescents and when you're working with that group of adolescents and they are considering coming out, one of my biggest concerns is safety. Yeah. Right. That is the first thing that I want to address because it is not always safe for mm-hmm. these kids to come out. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, as much as I want to embrace and validate their authentic selves, and I can certainly do that within the therapeutic space, mm-hmm. you know, if safety is a concern, then I don't always recommend that they come out in their households because mm-hmm. sometimes it's just simply not safe for them to do that. That's yeah. a big concern. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's a very, very important, right? Because like as you said, you want someone to be able to be their authentic self, but and this is a terrible that we have to say this, but it's very, very true. Like we also want someone to still be alive and be yes. their authentic self, right? Like we want someone to, as you said, be safe. And that sometimes with the environment that you're in before you have real autonomy, right? Like when I, and when I say autonomy, I don't mean you are an individual person. I mean like you can support yourself and be out on your own until you have that. A lot of us are relying on our parents and if they're not a safe person for us, we're probably not going to have them hold on to or be privy to this very special, important part of us too. Right. Right. And just imagine like, (laughs) imagine if you are LGBTQ, right? And so you can't talk about that. You can't talk about that with your parents. You can't talk about that with your employer. You mm. can't talk about that in your school. You can't talk about that in your social life, right? Mm. How much of yourself are you not talking about? Yeah. Right? Like that's really, really difficult. Like you're carrying a huge secret and it impacts so many areas of our life. So like if you're at work and you want to talk about your significant other, You might not talk about that where cisgender heterosexual people have that privilege. You might not have that, right? And you maybe want to talk about this great club that you went to. You may want to talk about this great time you had out with your friends, but you happen to go to a gay club. So you can't talk about that. It's, It's really difficult. When I'm hearing you talking about this, Simone, like I'm thinking about like my own high school experience and... You know, I had the high school experience of Catholic girls' school, right? Mm -hmm. All girls. And Mm -hmm. right next door, there's the Catholic boys' school. And, you know, this is early 2000s. So it was very, you know, I think closeted. And even just thinking, like, the people that I know today from high school that are out, there's a lot of them. And And they had to be closeted or felt like they had to be closeted for those like really formative years of their life. Or they, you know, from my understanding is like they felt like really insecure or unable to question or explore even their identity, their sexual identity and their sexuality just because of the environment 
you know, that we were in and like all those implicit like biases and teachings that we were hearing and learning and like what that does, like on the same breath, like there's, you know, I know from friends of mine, like they loved their, I think the high school that we went to, but it just felt really claustrophobic at time. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to touch on what implicit bias is, because I don't know that everybody knows what that is. And we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but like, you know, we can outwardly state, I support the LGBTQ Mm -hmm. community. And this kind of goes for every marginalized group, right? Mm -hmm. I support Mm -hmm. people of color, but we still have those thoughts, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. We still have those nasty, evil little thoughts and we all have them. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to, I'm not trying to make anybody feel shame. Right. right? Because we all have them. And that's when those microaggressions Mm -hmm. come out. That's when we act in ways that are counter to our expressed values and beliefs. And that's why it's so important that when those nasty, evil little thoughts come up, that we acknowledge them and that we don't feel shame about them Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. we check them. Yeah. Right. Because if we don't, then that's when those microaggressions seep out. That's when we behave in ways that are actually counter to our expressed beliefs. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Simone, for coming on and for sharing yourself and all of your your wisdom with us. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we already touched on it, but if someone isn't in therapy yet or and they relate to this podcast and they want some more resources and we'll list them all in the show notes. Are there any books or um, other recommendations that you have for them so they can, maybe they're a parent and they want to learn more or they're an LGBTQ person and they want to learn more? Sure. I think connecting with your local PFLAG community and PFLAG is a national organization with local branches throughout the U.S., I think that's a great resource. I think a lot of organizations are also offering Zoom meetings, which is a great way to kind of connect if you're not really feeling like you're ready to show up in person. So that's awesome. The the Family Acceptance Project out of San Francisco State University is a great resource. They actually study the community and study acceptance and study what happens when people are not accepted. So they're great for that information. The human rights campaign uh, is a lot of, has a lot of great information as well. As far as books go, um, there's one called Behind the Velvet Rope, Mm. which is a really good book. There's also uh, Trans Bodies, Trans Selves, which is a nice thick book <laughs> full <laughs> of information and then there's there's a lot of great resources on the web on instagram one of the ones that i really like is called fed up which mm. is particular for eating disorders in the trans community there's a lot of difficulty with addiction that i mentioned there's also a lot of there's a lot of difficulty with eating disorders in the lgbtq community as well yes, that is very true there's the prevalence of eating disorders and disordered eating in the trans uh, community is extremely high and getting um, somebody into treatment and like residential treatment is very very hard and 
it's definitely an underserved population and there needs to be more work done in that area as an eating disorder therapist. For sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, if you are a college student, there's usually resources through your college and, you know, certainly on the Therapy for Women website, there are resources. And if anybody, you know, wants to reach out to me directly, I am very happy to help them in any way I can. And they can certainly email me. All right. And we'll link Simone's Instagram. Well, thank you so much, Simone, for coming on. This was such a powerful and really important conversation for, I think, people on all sides of whether they are an LGBTQ person or they love an LGBTQ person or a parent. This was awesome. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Simone. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, For those that liked our episode, make sure you rate us and you follow us and you subscribe and do all those things. We really appreciate it. And share the episode with your friends and family if it really touched you and you felt like it was powerful and like other people needed to hear it. And we'll see you all next week. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. everybody. Thanks for listening to the Therapy for Women podcast. To suggest a topic, submit a question, or find a qualified therapist, visit therapyforwomencenter.com.